Hey guys, welcome back to What's Up Grimes. My name is Jen and I'm sitting here as always with MK. Hey MK. Good morning. Good morning. So you guys, we are filming at 9am on a weekday before we both go to our grown adult lady jobs. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> Normally we film at night, but here we are. This is what worked in the schedule. We're doing it. We're, we're here. We're doing it. We just had a little meeting together to plan for some upcoming stuff on our TikTok. It's going to be wild. Cardinal Lady is out here wild. And before we get into the music festival history that I want to talk about, what's up, Grimes? There's still nothing going on with Grimes as of this recording. She's pretty quiet. However, I was on the subreddit last night and I sent you a screenshot. So her, her plastic surgeon who did her facelift posted something that I've now realized is him trying to parody off something Elon said to his employees. And he tagged Grimes oh. in it. Oh. Oh, my. That's awkward. I was so confused. That's awkward. It's so awkward. I mean, if I was his employer, I don't know. I'm employee, excuse me. I don't know if I would get that joke. I didn't get the joke, and I follow both of them extensively. Anyway, uh, that happened. The three-month severance part, that that's what he gave Twitter people, so that that's that's tying together now. Yeah, so he posted a tweet. Elon posted a tweet yesterday. I went back into his tweets to look it up. And Dr. Cal posted word by word basically what Elon said as a joke. But I'm like, is that actually a joke to Grimes? Do you guys have that kind of relationship? That's weird. That's a weird thing to post publicly to your page. Is Elon mad that she got the facelift allegedly? And this guy maybe has a banter with Elon that we don't know behind the scenes and was kind of making a dig. I don't know if maybe C mentioned something to him about Elon. I mean, he didn't want her to get the elf ears, right? I don't think he probably wanted her to do anything. I don't know, but it felt really uncomfortable reading it and she didn't acknowledge it to my understanding publicly. And so that that felt really unprofessional to me, especially as a medical doctor, but that's just my opinion. So that's what's up with Grimes this week. There it is. So this week we are back to talk about music festival history. This is one that I wanted to do because as it turns out, there's a lot that goes on history-wise with how these even began. So here are my facts. I really want to shout out Time here because Time gave me a lot of facts. So thanks to Time. According to Time, the origins of music festivals, they actually date back to ancient Greece, where these events often involve competitions in music, arts, and sports. And if we're going to get a little bit more detailed, if you go back to the 6th century BCE, music was then introduced as featured prominently um, as part of the Pythian Games. Then it should also be noted that the artistic and dance competitions predated the athletic portion of the games. And these competitions often involved live music, which featured different musicians. So that also brings us back to Claire's favorite time period, the Middle Ages. Music festivals were frequently held as competitions. Did you realize it went back that far or am I just dumb? Now that you've said it, I think you know, through my schooling days, I oh, yeah. do remember how this is tied. But when we were discussing doing this topic, it did not dawn on me to think that far back. But very interesting. Yeah, super interesting. Now we're moving forward to the term festival. So the term festival that we use in its modern sense 
came from England and it was used to describe religious festivals. So for example, there's the Festival of the Sons of the Clergy. This was an annual charity sermon and was first uh, put on in London in 1655. So then the famed Three Choirs Festival was established in 1724 and continues to actually take place today. Harp festivals were held in Ireland toward the end of the 18th century. Now, festivals of secular music, because remember we were just talking about the religious piece, they were first held in England in the 18th century. Uh, The first was devoted to George Handel, and this was held in 1784 in Westminster Abbey. Handel festivals continued without interruption well into the 20th century. And then there's other festivals that were held for uh, opera, for example, uh, starting in 1934. And now we are moving forward into the International Festival of Music and Drama that was held in Edinburgh. That was inaugurated in 1947. And then the first festival that was devoted to modern music would have been the, excuse me, guys, I'm going to butcher this one, the Cheltenham Festival. That was held in 1945. That sounds right. Yeah. So there we are. So that's a very brief synopsis of music festival history people love music they love gathering for stuff yeah and that actually when we were talking about this initially this didn't dawn me either like renaissance festivals are still very popular not necessarily music related but they have the the jousting the food they do have like the medieval music so that's something that's still present to this day I, i know the king richard's fair is super huge still Yeah. And those are really fun to dress up and go to. So, you know. Yeah. Okay. So if we're looking at just how popular music festivals are today, if you look at 2019 at Coachella, according to the stats that I looked at, advanced tickets for 2019 Coachella sold out in two and a half hours, an hour faster than they sold out in the year prior, according to the Palm Springs Desert Sun. Additionally, for the first time since 2013, Bonnaroo sold out of uh, 2019 tickets with 80,000 people attending, according to the Tennessean. Through help from large music conglomerates, festivals like Coachella and Bonnaroo have become akin to household brand names. Everybody knows what Coachella is, for example, in my life. Everybody, for better or for yep. worse. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, lastly, the most successful festivals do not rely on one artist or genre. For example, if you look at Summerfest in 2019, the roster included Lionel Richie, The Killers, Jennifer Lopez, Billie Eilish, Lil Wayne, Snoop Dogg, and The National. So, of course, the point of that is that if you provide a diverse experience, you're going to get more of a diverse audience, thus up in your numbers. So that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, they schedule it out. So even if there is a diverse roster, you are still able to see multiple people and pick and choose who you want to see on different stages. Yeah. So that's some basic history going back. You guys, I cut out so many facts because I had so much to say. And then I was like, nobody cares about the small details that I had initially posted and then took out when I was doing the research. So that brings us to the, the more notable festivals. Yes. So notable festivals, uh, credit Spin Diddy 2021. So the Newport Jazz Festival, shout out to Newport. Oh yeah. By me. Um, So the the Newport Jazz Festival takes place in Newport, Rhode Island, has been actively running since 1954. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. Um, It may arguably be the most historically significant jazz festival. 
Huh. I mean, is there another one? <laughs> There's a lot of them. I don't that know. I looked up. I'm not jazz into jazz. I mean, it, yeah. My son loves jazz. He's eight years old. He's so much cooler than me. Loves the jazz. Is I'm India like, a hipster? Who is this kid? Maybe. But it's authentic. It's not like forced. Oh, so then he's just cool. He's cool. The kid's cool. Come on. Like even just seeing pictures, I'm like, kid's gonna be cool when he grows up. So among the festival's highlights included a number of memorable appearances by Miles Davis. One of these was highlighted on 1964 album Miles and Monk at Newport. Wow. I didn't realize huge people like that were at that jazz festival. Could you imagine of seeing Miles Davis? I mean epic yeah newport i don't know yeah. i don't know if you guys that are listening have been to newport newport's very small rhode island in general obviously is like a blip on the map rhode island's very state. small yeah so where are all these people staying i need to know that's all <laughs> they book out those mansions like a year in advance that makes sense yeah yeah and side note people tried to you know i know a bunch of people that tried to rent out you know airbnbs of mansions at newport over the summer hbo had booked out all of them because of that show the golden age so no one could book out anything have you seen the show i have yeah it's pretty good it's okay yeah i thought it was going to be more like downton abbey ish which i'm obsessed with i got through the first creator yeah that's why that's why i thought it was gonna be just as good i got through the first season of that show because i've been to all the mansions out in newport and that was really fascinating to me and then after season one i was like "Eh, that's enough but it is it's a it's a good show it's just not as i don't know as addictive as downton abbey but just my opinion i mean downton abbey's kind of one of a kind type show golden i mean it has really great people on it and the costumes are beautiful but I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Anywho, so the 1958 festival was highlighted in the 1960 acclaimed documentary film, Jazz on a Summer's Day. That film featured festival performances from Louis Armstrong, Chuck Berry, Dinah Washington, and Mahalia Jackson. The Newport Jazz Festival moved to a couple of different locations before moving back to Newport in 1981. Even though it may no longer have the same significance, it continues to be a pos- uh, popular festival draw. Yeah. There you go. If, if jazz is your to, thing. Yeah. Yeah, if jazz is your thing. It's a, does it's still to this day, obviously. Yes. I mean, it sounds, yeah. Moving on to Woodstock 69. The Woodstock Music and Art Fair, which took place on August 15th through 18th, 1969, may just be the most famous music festival ever. Agreed. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would agree with that. It was definitely a defining moment in music and pop culture history. The event attracted 32 acts that performed in front of over 500,000 people. Could you imagine? I've never been at such a big festival with that many people around. Like, especially post-COVID times, thinking about that. It's, it's anxiety-driven. <laughs> I know, and especially because I know you're about to get into this, but it there were more people than were expected to be there, and it just the sanitary conditions broke down really quickly, and I would have been out, man. That wouldn't have worked for me. Yeah, yeah. The festival was generally meant to be a for-profit venture, but when 500,000 people showed up, so they organizers sold tickets for just under 200,000. That's crazy. Oh my God. And they didn't have adequate fencing. It became a free concert 
considering sheer volume, poor weather conditions, and inadequate facilities. It was amazing that the festival goers were able to peacefully coexist, which was not the case later on, as we'll find out soon enough. No. Um, Since the original festival, five more Woodstock festivals have taken place, with the most notable being 94 and 99. There's a documentary that's really good about, I don't think it's, is it the 94 or 95, uh, excuse me, 99 one? Because it was a horrific disaster. Okay, so there's really good documentaries. There's one on Amazon, and I should have written down the the name of it. There's one about the original 69 that's really well done that talks about how it was super chaotic and they ran out of food. And so like nearby houses and families were bringing food into the festival so that people could actually eat because the roads were so backed up, you couldn't get out and there was no cell phone service, etc. The one you're talking about is about... 99 yes 99 was a dumpster fire literally but before that it was very bad you gotta cover 94 because 94 was equally as problematic although people weren't burning the place down at 94 so you know that's true yes so backtrack woodstock 94 took place on august 12th through 14th and is quite often referred to as the commercial woodstock or mudstock (laughs) (laughs) yeah um no thank you Over 300,000 attended, which was more than organizers anticipated, which resulted in some issues with security. One of the notable performances at Woodstock 94 was Green Day set. They started a mud fight with the crowd. I remember seeing videos of this. Oh, yeah. Which spiraled out of control when mud-covered fans hopped on stage and one of the security guards accidentally tackled Green Day's bassist, Mike Dirt. There was also an unofficial free concert, which took place at the original Woodstock site. It was organized partly by Richie Havens, also performed as the who also performed at the original. Oh, and it was attended by approximately 130,000. Then the dumpster fire that was oh, yeah. Woodstock '99 took place on July 22nd through 25th. It was attended by approximately 200,000 people. Unfortunately, instead of being about peace and love, it was marred by rapes, fires, and violence. So interesting. Over 30 years, a 30-year span. How much time has changed people, you know, made people not it about peace and love, really just nasty. Just it's it's very sad how the world has changed from that period. Something not going well. And then, like you said, nearby houses bringing food, trying to be helpful has changed to a total disillusioned era where people are fighting, there's rapes, there's no facilities. I remember seeing, like, it's just an absolute disaster. Did anyone die? I don't think so from what I remember. And I think this documentary that I'm referring to is on Netflix. I I am almost 100% positive. It was on something. It it was on something totally worth watching because you're mentioning the facilities that broke down. So they, they, I almost gagged during this documentary. Let me back it up. I should first say that the documentary does a really good job of exploring what exactly happened. And a huge part of what was happening was this heavy metal music had infiltrated the scene and was very angry at the time. So back in the day of like Metallica and Korn and, and kind of riling up your audience. Limp Bizkit. Limp Bizkit was Biscuit. one. Yeah. Being really angry at the time. And so what happened was the, the bands were encouraging this behavior. It started in mosh pits. And then... Yes. Um, 
kept encouraging people to burn down the place and get violent. And so they think that a huge part of why this happened was because the people were influenced by who was on stage, which makes sense. Yeah. Additionally, it, yeah. It, they talk about how people were like rolling around in the mud, similar to mudstock, but the mud was actually human waste because the facilities broke down and overflowed and people didn't know that the mud was sewage. You would know as soon yeah. as you hit it, I, I would assume. <laughs> That's this uh, is not my scene. Definitely not my scene either. I mean, of course <sighs> I like some of the bands, but it does that's a very good point that you made about how not only just how life and the world had changed 30 years between the first Woodstock and the last 99. Um there were they were influenced by the music. The music was more violent. It wasn't really about even the rock and roll from 69 mm -hmm. was essentially in comparison harmless and didn't evoke violent or negative behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Unless so that's, that's the breakdown of culture. Yes. The culture yeah. and the music in our culture, because music is so influential and MK and I talk all the time about how you're so influenced by the people that you're surrounded with and you'll start doing things that you can surprise yourself with and do a 180 based on who you're around. And I think that's yeah. true. Didn't you say here. it's five people? Yeah, you're most influenced by the top five people you spend time with, so choose carefully. Yes, and that can change over time. So does that mean you change when you change your surroundings or do you kind of stand your ground and influence? Are you the influencer? Such a good point, because when we discuss it, it's in terms of Grimes, because the people around Grimes have changed. And so we see changes yes. in Grimes. So, for example, going from... I don't want to be sexualized at all to I'm going to be heavy, heavily, excuse me, sexualized in my pictures and my music videos. And is that because of who you're now surrounding yourself with? Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, her career is kind of like the microcosm of Woodstock, right? You start at the beginning, you're very, it's, it's harmless. It's a beautiful event. And then it turns into you know, it can change over time. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. I mean, Woodstock 99 is a dumpster fire. I <laughs> wouldn't say Grimes is a dumpster fire, but it's certainly different from where she started out. Absolutely. And I know that some people argue that that's growth and change and everybody has their own opinion. And here we are. It's just different. Here we are. All right. So moving on to the next big hitter, Coachella. So the first Coachella took place in 99. Wow, I didn't know it went back that far. In the Coachella Valley in California. It has since become one of the more prominent North American music festivals. Not only does this feature a diverse group of marquee performers, but in recent years, it has also featured some notable reunions. The event features musical artists from many genres of music, including rock, pop, indie hip hop, and electronic dance music, as well as art installations and sculptures, Across the grounds, several stages continuously host live music. So that sounds very much like, I always akin Coachella with Burning Man. Oh yeah. It seems very similar. I guess Bonnaroo is similar too, but Bonnaroo kind of is more like Woodstock in my opinion. Just yeah. the general vibe of it seems more Woodstocky. It's a good point. You know, okay guys, you have to look up Coachella documentary on YouTube. It's super long. And as someone who does not normally feel emotional when watching videos, 
when you watch the Coachella history documentary, I felt emotional like multiple times through it because it, it does a really good job of breaking down the different eras of Coachella up to the modern time period. And it does a yeah. really good job of showing the technology advances with Coachella. So go Google that one. Yeah, and this this next point is interesting. So 2003 was considered like the breakout year in terms of increased media attention, which makes sense because I didn't hear about it until my early 20s, like yeah. college era, which is kind of around this time. Yeah. Yeah. So that year's lineup included the BC Boys, Red Hot Chili Peppers, White Stripes, and reunited Iggy Pop and the Stooges. That's pretty epic. Mm-hmm. Another notable moment took place in 2012, which featured a hologram of Tupac. Oh, that was at Coachella? Yeah. Oh, wow. Performing during Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg set. I didn't know that. Yeah. Very interesting. So, yeah, I've never been to Coachella. I knew a lot of people that would go when I lived in California. They would they would go. They would get their tickets immediately. Some people couldn't get tickets. That's how quickly these these things sell out. And they're not cheap. That's what I was going to say is the joke that I see all the time is, you know, daddy paid for it. Like, because it's a bunch of college kids. And it's like, how, how'd you pay? <laughs> like, it's so expensive. Yeah. Well, and there's a another uh, relatable point about um, Burning Man and Coachella is there is that dress up dystopian type look that you kind of have to have when you go there right yes. it's almost like another world it's a there's another one like it too i don't know if you've ever heard of lightning in a bottle mm -hmm. that's more like edm and edc um where you dress up and you become like another version of yourself kind of like how we feel when we do our podcast right yeah. we be we get to highlight the version of ourselves that gets to be wild and fun and crazy so those festivals really evoke that type of behavior and expression, which is really cool. Yeah, I love that. It's escapism. Yeah. Summerfest. I'm not sure what this one is. So the legendary Summerfest. <laughs> legendary Summerfest. I'm like, what is this? Legendary Summerfest lasts 11 days and was held uninterruptedly between 1968 and 2019. Wow. While the 2020 edition was canceled, Summerfest bounced back and returned to action in 2021. Have you heard of this? Oh, yeah. Oh. I I must have been under a rock. I don't know. Grown adult lady things, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's been a long time. Up until 99, Summerfest held the Guinness World Record for the world's largest music festival and reigns pretty close to the podium today. Record attendance, 830,000. Where does this take place? I don't remember. Oh, man. I don't know why I've never heard of it. Oh, goodness. Okay. So, <laughs> Fire Festival. Have you guys heard of that? That documentary was so crazy. So, Fire crazy. Festival was a fraudulent, fraudulent luxury music festival founded by con artist Billy McFarland and rapper Ja Roll. So random. You're like, what? Okay. Um, it was created with the intent of promoting the company's Fire app for um, booking music talent. The festival was scheduled to take place on April 28th through 30th and May 5th through 7th, 2017 on the Bahamian island of Great Exuma. Did you see this documentary? So there's two out there. 
and I forgot oh, which one right. I liked better. And then there's like a follow-up documentary that talks about Billy and all of his exploitations that's also very good. Oh, I'm obsessed with them because part of me feels... Part of me does not feel bad for people. I feel very bad for the citizens of the island. I feel terrible. For everybody else yeah. that went to this thing, I don't feel bad at all. <laughs> like, I think it's funny. Yeah, I mean, it's scary. You want to trust people. You want to give them your money to go have a good time. They had, like, no food. Like, the food they handed out. I remember seeing people post pictures of the food. Oh, yeah. The cheese the sandwiches. <laughs> oh, right. It's like cafeteria food. Worse than that. In like styrofoam. The cabanas were like in disarray. So the cabanas even really there. were emergency tents. So they were like what FEMA would give out when something has come through your city and decimated your home. And so they were FEMA emergency tents but they were soaking wet because they had had a storm and nobody knew where their luggage went because when they arrived, luggage was just kind of taken from them and the housing you had paid for was not guaranteed. So people didn't know where they were supposed to sleep. I would have been freaking out. It's not like you can go back to your car and say like, okay, I'm out of here. That was fun. You know, I would have been freaking out. Yeah. And there were notable people promoting it too. Like Haley Bieber, uh, Kylie uh, Kendall Jenner and Emily I never know how to say her last name Ratjakowski yeah I don't know like models very well-known people promoting an event so what would why would there be an issue right yeah, right seems totally normal right that that scares me I if I were to go to a festival it would probably be like somewhere local that's more well known you know I wouldn't take a chance like that yeah very crazy Yes, you're right. There are two documentaries about the event of the festival released in 2019. There's one on Hulu. There's one on Netflix. It was also featured on an episode of the CNBC CNBC series American Greed. The amount of anxiety this guy just didn't even, like, express. Like, is he a sociopath? How do you not feel complete and utter anxiety when something is definitely not going the right direction and you had time you had time to say hey we got it we got to just end this we got to pull the plug i think what people discovered was that it was open fraud and a true belief that he thought it was going to come through so knowingly committing fraud and thinking it's still going to come to fruition like ideas of grandeur that are delusional yeah absolutely yeah. delusional because everybody else around you can see it's not going to work and, and people could die and you're not taking it seriously yeah. so I, that's what the documentaries explore they're definitely worth watching apparently this is the documentary episode of what's up grimes where we're going to tell you to go watch a bunch of stuff yeah 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 homework people homework so in march 2018 mcfarland pleaded guilty to one count of wire fraud to defraud investors and ticket holders and a second count to defraud a ticket vendor that occurred while out on bail. What's wrong with you? Like he had the capacity to do normal work and a normal job. Why put yourself through this just because you have delusions of grandeur grandeur, and you think it'll work out somehow? What a butt, just a butt. Yeah. Yeah, so 
Did you want to get into the Grimes-related festivals? I sure do. So we're going to talk a little bit about Grimes-related festivals, the ones that are pretty notable and you hear a lot in interviews. And I'm going to start with South by Southwest because... South by Southwest is one that we see in a lot of her interviews, her like old school interviews that we love. And Katie, you remember that outfit that she used to wear? She used to wear like three of the same outfits, right? When she first started. But this one was the green one with like the black chest piece. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Oh, yeah. That's what I identify her interviews at South by Southwest and like the sunglasses on the head with like the green self-dyed hair, you know. So South by Southwest, the swamp green hair that I miss. I know. I do. South by Southwest is an annual conglomeration of parallel film, interactive media, and music festivals and conferences. It's organized jointly, and these take place around mid-March in Austin, Texas. So it began in 1987, continues to grow every single year. In 2017, this conference actually lasted for 10 days, with the interactive track lasting for five days, music for seven, film for nine days. South by Southwest Music is the largest music festival of its kind in the world, with more than 2,000 acts as of 2014. I'm going to pause there because one of the things that I really wanted to do in terms of guests on the podcast is I've been reaching out to people who have worked in these festivals, whether it's lighting designers or coordinators, because there's a lot of work that goes into putting these on. Yeah. Not just that capacity, but making sure people are safe. There's like the correct amount of people, people making sure, you know, there's proper accommodations, there's proper food. It's a lot. Yeah, so I started looking into this because when you and I talked to Z's, one of the points that she stressed is there's so much that goes on behind the scenes of things like music videos, right? And there's production designers who work around the clock making these things happen. So I started Googling, like, I forgot what I, something about um, putting on South by Southwest, I don't know. And all these names popped up of interviews with these uh, lighting designers and people that organize these events but then when you look them up online they don't have many followers some of them don't um and i'm like man like it must be hard when people don't actually know your face but you did all this yeah you're behind the curtain you know yeah but you you make the experience It, it in my opinion those are the most important people absolutely these these incredible artists really so Um, The music event has grown from 700 registrants in 1987. That's the first year of the conference. Then in 2018, uh, they clocked in at 161 attendees. These interactive events have grown each year, and there are 32,000 registrants that attended the event in Austin in March of 2013. Uh, Typically, bands cover their own expenses for travel and lodging. All performers are then offered a cash payment or a wristband package that allows them to access all the music events. That moves us into the film and the interactive portion of South by Southwest. The the film conference section spans five days and that uh, consists of panels and sessions and welcomes filmmakers of all levels. And then there's the interactive portion that's focused on emerging tech emerging technology, which is, of course, fascinating, especially with Grimes. Uh, The festival includes a trade show, speakers, parties, and a startup accelerator. That's a lot (laughs) over the the course of like 10 days. I can't imagine being in charge of that. There are 
so many people that are making this happen. It's almost like a music festival plus Comic-Con almost. Yeah. Or just like a straight up film festival merged all into one. Yeah. So that that must be a very intense 10 days for them. <laughs> to say the least. That brings us to the last festival I wanted to discuss related to Grimes, which is the last festival really we've seen Grimes at that's been this big and has been live streamed to us as fans. That's Electric Daisy Carnival, also known as EDC. EDC is an electronic dance music festival. Um, It's flagship event, EDC Las Vegas, which is the one that we saw streamed, is held in May at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway and is currently the largest electronic dance festival in North America. The event features electronic dance producers and DJs and incorporates a variety of electronic music, including house, techno, drum and bass, and dubstep. Crazy. I would love to go to that one. It's just so pretty and beautiful and the ambiance and experience must be really fun. The stages are insane. Like they're beautiful. Yeah. So yeah. go artists. What was that again. other festival she went to, she DJed in, it was in Florida. Do you remember? And there was like a lot of tech panels. It was the picture where she had the braids and like that, those like Mad Max type glasses. Yeah. And, and like I can never remember the names. We'll have to look it up, but that was another one that I had never heard of and looked really cool. Like the tech panels combined with music and they were really like polarizing panels too. Like, I think those are brilliant to combine those type of discussions with entertainment. Sounds so fun. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it gets better because in addition to the music, There are three-dimensional superstructures, colorful glow-in-the-dark environments, and LED-lit flora. There are also interactive art installations throughout EDC, free-roaming carnival performers, and carnival rides. Now, since its inception, there are other EDC events that have been held in other states and abroad. That includes Mexico, Puerto Rico, and the UK. Uh, Currently, EDC is held annually in Orlando, China, and Mexico, along with the main Las Vegas event. In 2009, EDC became a two-day event, and in 2011, a three-day event. Um, In 2018, EDC Las Vegas expanded the festival to include the on-site camping experience, and recent iterations of the festival have featured eight stages, each with a unique set and specific genre of EDM, 18 carnival rides, four Ferris wheels, and a staff of more than 5,000 people. In 2019, access to purchasing tickets to EDC was expanded to mobile phone apps for convenience. Technology. Yeah. Speaking of which, I wonder in the future how much we will rely on digital festival experiences. You know, like, or it's trying to become a thing. It is trying and to I, become a thing. I'm, and I'm curious how it's going to pan out. And I'm like you, I wonder if that is going to pan out. I wonder if if that's, like, to me, that doesn't, that's not the same experience. I know that's what Grimes wants. Grimes has talked about it years ago. It's yeah. And Ouroboros, shout out mm-hmm. to Ouroboros, uh, Paula and Allison. So I, I think that it, there's something there, you know, for people that may have social anxiety, people that feel more of a presence or more 
like their authentic selves in a digital atmosphere True. may benefit from that. True. But I'm curious to see how that pans out because that is the future. It is the future and I'm here for it. In May of 2022, Grimes DJed EDC and this was a live streamed event, which was awesome for those of us that could not make it. And of course, that's posted to YouTube and I like to listen to that a lot. Art was also dropped to the audience via satellite during the event. So, and it's, I feel like EDC, it really is the essence of Grimes. The the art installations, the, the colorful nature of it, the music, I don't know, it just feels very Grimes. It's very Grimes, very, very Grimes. I, I like the the component, the videos she's making now with the DJ sets because that wasn't always there. You know, that's something that she obviously had to work on and build and see exactly what she wants for each song. I mean, clearly there's a lot that goes into planning that. Yeah, and I know just from following artists that work on her team, the amount of work that they pour into those videos behind her is insane. So shout out to the. Shout out to the artist. Always shout out to the artist. And they're unbelievable. I mean, I didn't even, I, she was my first experience seeing like digital experience, like art installation experiences with the music. And then I started following like all of these rave Instagram pages and what people can do at those just DJ events is unbelievable like the yes. experience the 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 3d almost it feels like it's in your face hologram type you know it's just really crazy i can't i can't imagine actually being present at one of those crazy and beautiful and i hope to see more from c I, i'm kind of wondering if now she's just going to dj from here on out it's kind of what it looks like Um, But I I would like to see more because I really like seeing her outfits and the way she does her hair. And last time she had the green hair that glowed and that was really cool that I saw her DJ. So hope to see more of that. I agree. I mean, whether it's DJing or or book one, whatever she decides to do, if she's out there, we'll be there for it. Very true. I think we're at book 2.0 at this point (laughs) because who knows what's going on with that. But hey, we're here for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was listening on YouTube. There's like a speculative book one. Somebody put that together and I just listened to the whole thing. And I was like, this is an album. This is, you know, it's songs that I didn't even think like pretty dark. Oh, yeah. Um, dark souls. Like, and a lot of it really seems like a, a conglomerate of Miss A plus Art Angels. Yeah. It's not as dark. It's a little more hopeful. Yes. Which, come on, it's there. But no pressure. <laughs> no pressures. I go back and forth. Like, no pressure, but can you drop the album? Like, that would be great. Well, guys, it's just stick so around. Good, you know? It's so good. Stick around with us. We are going to be back. This is a, what day is it? It's a Thursday. MK and I are going to be back really this whole weekend recording with guests. So we'll be around. Um, We appreciate you guys so much and we'll see you guys soon. Bye. Bye.